you're listening to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast, a weekly program providing information and support for those families impacted by tongue and lip tie and the professionals caring for them. I'm Lisa Palladino, a midwife and a lactation consultant with over 30 years of experience. If you are a parent looking for answers or a professional who is curious to learn more than what you learned in school on this topic, welcome. This podcast is for you. A gentle disclaimer, please do not consider anything discussed on this podcast by myself or any guest of the podcast to be medical advice. The information is provided for educational purposes only and does not take the place of your own medical or lactation provider. Thank you. Welcome everyone to the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Palladino, and I am so excited, as always, I'm always excited about my guests, and I feel like I always say that, but today I am particularly excited about having Dr. Shireen Lim here. Dr. Lim is a very accomplished dentist. Um, I'm going to let her introduce herself, but the, the reason that I wanted to talk to her today and introduce her to all of you is because of her book that's called Breathe, Sleep, and Thrive. Discover how airway health can unlock your child's greater health, learning, and potential. And the book is amazing. She is wonderful. So welcome, Dr. Lim. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Okay. So so just in your own words, you know, I instead of reading your bio, which I'll put your bio in the show notes, it's very impressive. But instead of me reading your bio, tell me a little bit about yourself and what brings you to this work? Great. Yeah. So I'm a general dentist and I've been a dentist for 23 years. Uh, but more recently, approximately 12 years ago, I was uh, bothered by my husband's snoring. And I decided that I was going to learn more about dental sleep appliances to manage adult snoring and obstructive sleep apnea. And so I did a qualification course in that, became involved in managing that. And I realized we're treating a craniofacial problem or a problem of poor jaw development with dental appliances, which is really a band-aid solution. And a lot of people that suffer with things like snoring and obstructive sleep apnea have struggled with quite poor quality of life in terms of memory concerns, energy, and increased risk of various health diseases. And so what I thought was, why don't we get closer to the root of the issue? In dental school, we're taught that you can do early interceptive treatment with orthodontics to modify jaw development. Uh, And yet that's not really being commonly done. It's quite normal for people to go to the orthodontist, get told to wait until age 12, take out some teeth, straighten up, but we've missed that boat to develop the jaws. And so I wanted to be able to fill that void, particularly because my own children were quite young. I learned how to do orthodontics uh, and and provide early interceptive treatment. But even then, um, I I met Dr. Christian Gimeneau, I think in 2014, around that time. And I told him, look, your work on palate expansion in children has really inspired me to learn more and to be involved in doing this for children. And he said, if you're doing that, that's too late. And so at the time, I didn't know what that had meant. uh, But really, basically, he was saying that the jaws are the structural support support of the airway. And if they're not growing well, 
that's going to increase collapsibility of the airway. Uh, when they don't grow well, it's actually a reflection of poor jaw develop, uh, poor oral function. And so form follows function. We really need to be addressing the poor function or the oral dysfunction in the earliest years of life to encourage the jaws to grow well. And so that's why I've become involved in things like myofunctional therapy, looking for tongue tie release and helping to promote breastfeeding. And so that's what I do now. I'm really focused on the dental sleep appliances for adults, um, early interceptive orthodontics for children and tongue tie release for all ages. So it's um, a different form of assessment and intervention at all different life stages, correct? Correct, yes. And yeah. But if we work in children, we really have the opportunity to get to the root of the issue and also in promote healthy breathing and healthy sleep from the earliest mm-hmm. years of life when you know the brain is developing the most mm-hmm. and really promoting their best potential early on. Yeah. So um, before we came on, before we started recording, I said to you, you know, if I took a highlighter to your book, everything would be highlighted because every line that I read is something that I want people to hear. But one of one of the um, aspects of what you're writing that is so validating to me is that you talk about signs of health get, that can be seen as soon as the baby exits the womb, signs of future health. And I really, you know, I came to this work as a lactation consultant and a midwife helping with breastfeeding. I knew it had something to do with, you know, that's the way the mouth is supposed to move. I I was taught that, but I had no idea the um, relationship was as deep and as strong as important as it, as it is what I know now. Right. Um, It's so hard to let um, new parents understand that their their successful breastfeeding impacts the baby's whole life, and it's often overwhelming. And the way you lay things out in the book, the way you explain things, is how I want to be able to say to parents, like, so everybody should read this book. You know, as I said, this should be required reading because when someone comes to a lactation consultant. They think they're coming to help with scheduling, help with, you know, fix the latch, whatever the heck that means in quotes. They're not realizing that sometimes if they come to the right lactation consultant's office, they're going to get an education about jaw development, tongue posture, sleeping, snoring, future behavior problems, and all that stuff, right? So it's a hard leap to make. Um, And you do it gradually but definitively in your explanations, right? So thank you for that, number one. And I have a great, I have a question that came up at a patient consult just this week. And I was wondering if maybe you could help me answer it. I did the best I can. But a mom said to me, it seems counterintuitive that the tongue being up should make the the palate come down. She said, wouldn't the tongue on the palate push the palate up further? And I get why that would sound that way. But can, can you talk a little bit about how the tongue forms the palate and why 
it's important to have the tongue posture up at the top of the mouth. Yeah, sure. Um, Breastfeeding is sometimes referred to as nature's palate expander because uh, when it's done really well with good effective latch, uh, it relies on tongue suction to create a vacuum. So as the tongue raises to the roof of the mouth and contacts the palate, uh, it it then drops and then it creates a, a vacuum and that's how milk is transferred efficiently. And so every time that tongue is raising, it is actually sculpting the palate. So the palate and the tongue should be a perfect fit. And it's actually developing that tone of the tongue that's necessary for natural tongue to palate suction, uh, which it eliminates the, the possibility of mouth breathing. And it just develops that uh, palate during childhood. So mouth breathing is a problem. And I, I don't know for sure that everybody understands that. I mean, most of our listeners are educated in it. But for those who don't understand that, um, why do you see mouth breathing as such a problem? Mouth breathing, I mean, the, the nose is specially designed for breathing. So the nose, it, it warms, humidifies, and filters the air before it enters our lungs. And so we're going to have less chances of respiratory infections and, and ear infections. But, and we're going to have a better night's sleep if we breathe through our nose. But it's particularly important during childhood because when we close our mouth and we have our tongue suction to the roof of the mouth, that actually stimulates that proper palate development. And uh, yeah, so that's why it's particularly important during childhood because um, it promotes good palate development. And when we have a high and narrow palate, or for instance, when the tongue is lowered or it's not utilized properly during breastfeeding, uh, there's nothing to counteract the inward pressures of the lips and cheeks. And so we get a distortion of the palate uh, where it's crunched in. And so you were asking before, uh, about whether it would be higher if the tongue, the palate was up. Not, not really, because it's actually getting crunched inwards and made higher. Um, I don't know if I've explained that really well. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah that makes that makes sense to me. Um, especially when you talk about that, you know, the natural palate expansion that happens because of the pressure yeah. and the suction. We don't really realize that as lay people. And the idea of sleep, even for infants, being a symptom of good health. Are you a solopreneur or small business owner? If so, I want to ask you a question. Do you know exactly how much money you made in your business last month? Or can you find this number right now with just a couple of clicks on your computer? I'm Sarah Finns, finance coach and accountant and creator of Easy Business Bookkeeping, a course and system for tracking your business finances with ease. I want to bust the myth that managing the money in your business needs to be time consuming and stressful, or that you need to be a finance professional in order to understand them. With Easy Business Bookkeeping, you will get the tools and support you need to finally gain clarity with your finances so you can grow your business and your impact. Want to learn more? Go to www.sarahfins.com forward slash TTE podcast for details. That's sarahfins.com forward slash TTE, like tongue tie experts podcast. And I'll see you on the inside. You know, not sleeping is a, is not a symptom of good health. Mm-hmm. Um, having difficulty sleeping or restless sleep or frequent wakings 
you know, in our society, I don't know if it's any different where you live, Mm -hmm. but everybody here is so obsessed with the baby sleeping through the night for reasons that are more like societal and cultural rather than health wise. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if, if you've listened to my podcast or anyone who listens to my podcast knows that I'm a new grandma and, um, my grandson is having restless sleep and we just, we're going through an, a procedure. He had an, a second release of his tongue tie mm-hmm. because he's got palate, you know, very high palate. We're still working with lots of therapies. Of course, my grandson would have to need every therapy possible, right? <laughs> Couldn't just yeah. be simple for my own grandson. But one of the signs that, I, and I was trying to explain that to his parents is I'm not as concerned with the way he's eating as I'm concerned with his restless sleep and that he should be sleeping because that's a sign that he's not getting enough oxygenation or having difficulty breathing during the night and that's what's waking him. So I think I think that, that line that you wrote all about, um, there's, there's lots of information all about, but even as infant sleep is related to airway health, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 90% of a child's brain development, they've reached the adult si- 90% of the adult size brain by the age of nine. So there's, it's a critical window during those early years of life where children really need good sleep. And what's really important for parents to recognize, it's not just about whether or not a child is waking through the night. When we see a child, they should be still, have their mouth closed, breathing through their nose, yeah, and they, they should look peaceful. They shouldn't be restless, tossing and turning. And there's various clues like neck hyperextension or stomach sleeping and, you know, getting sweaty, all these type of things that parents also need to look out for as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, sleep sleep isn't a goal. It's a symptom. I, I, I like to talk about that. You know, there's lots of symptoms. And your entire um, paradigm is a paradigm that, I admire um, looking at not band-aiding symptoms, mm. but finding the root cause of the symptoms and and realizing we can fix the root causes and then achieve optimal health. And there's different ways to do that depending on the stage of the life cycle. On this podcast, we often or mostly talk about infants, but so many times parents come to me with their newborn and it's their second or third baby. And then they start telling me about symptoms in their toddlers. Do you want to talk a little bit about toddler symptoms and what would have you concerned as far as airway in toddlers or young children? Yeah. Uh, So like I mentioned before, with the sleep, we want to make sure they're still, they're quite restful um, and so it's quite common in toddlers two to three years of age. Uh, one of the things that can happen is that they can get enlarged adenoids and tonsils. And this might be a reason why their sleep gets interrupted. Uh, often these children may be children that come into the parents' room in the middle of the night for no uh, explained reason. Um, snoring. So any snoring is a sound of difficulty breathing uh, or or with children, it doesn't necessarily need to be a loud snore. Any noise that they make is a sign that there is increased resistance to airflow. And so this tossing, turning, um, t- 
Teeth grinding, it's a key red flag that a child is having breathing difficulties and it's something that should be investigated. Uh, a lot of the time in dental school, we're taught that it's something normal that children will grow out of, but that's outdated thinking. Realistically, it's a compensation quite often uh, for poor breathing or difficulties with airflow. Children don't tend to get sleep apnea where their air airway gets completely blocked for 10 seconds or more. What tends to happen is they have a very uh, uh, intact nervous system that's highly responsive to any uh, blockage of the airway. And so what happens is they'll, they'll have an arousal from sleep, they'll grind their teeth, and that can be a way to open up the airway to improve that muscle tone and open up the airway. So that's something common around that age group. And then just difficulties uh, during the day as well. If they're struggling, if they seem uh, a bit grumpy on waking, even though they've had a good number of hours of sleep, or if they're becoming more fidgety, hyperactive, or difficulty with their emotional regulation. So around age two, a lot of people think that it's normal to have terrible twos. But sometimes what we need to rule out is that they're not having difficulty regulating their emotions because they're deprived of good restorative sleep. So just like us grown-ups, when we have a poor night's sleep, we feel grumpy and are quick to jump, you know, at our partners or or be angry or sensitive. The same with kids, right? There's a reason why they're acting that way. Yeah. And um, as far as treatment with releasing ties, you know, I I definitely believe in the team approach and with mm -hmm. infants that means working with a lactation consultant and the dentist and maybe body workers and dealing with tensions in the body mm -hmm. um toddlerhood is tricky right i mean you know the young child before they're able when they have teeth and before they're able to follow direction is a challenging time for Absolutely. remediation how do you handle that age group? Like say between like one and three years old or one and four years old, do you treat or do you try to hold off on releasing ties and things like that? I think one to four is definitely the most challenging age. Or for me, it's even like 18 months to four years old. Uh, and one of the difficulties is that we're going to have an increased risk of reattachment uh, with those wounds because it's really difficult to get those children to do myofunctional therapy or exercises and it's actually very difficult for parents to do the active wound management to interfere with the normal healing. And so usually with that age group, I want to make sure that it is really creating a significant functional issue on a daily basis before I go ahead and do, you know, before I think that that benefit outweighs the risk that's involved. So I'm going to refer to a speech and feeding therapist uh, to get them to assess speech and feeding and really understand what is the deficit. And if that therapist can work with the child and they say, okay, this restriction is a barrier to further improvements, at that point, you know, we can consider release. And I'll do releases in the chair if I have to. Uh, and it is pretty quick for me. My biggest concern is how a parent's going to manage at home. But sometimes if that child has any clues of disturbed breathing or enlarged tonsils or really having struggles with breathing through their nose, they may be better off seeing an ENT specialist. And there are times where it can be worthwhile to do the tongue tie release under general anesthetic if a child is having other procedures done at the same time. But I do think 
that it if, if it is a more hidden tongue tie or a posterior tongue tie, um, that sometimes it may be better not to jump in and, and see if we can do therapy and get a better functional outcome when a child's that little bit older to do proper myofunctional therapy and get that tongue working better even before we do the release. Are you a professional that feels like you didn't learn enough about tongue tie in school? Whether you're a lactation consultant, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a midwife, a doula, a doctor, a speech language pathologist, a chiropractor, PT, OT, dentist, etc. I don't mean to leave anyone out. Anyone who works with pregnant or breastfeeding families in any capacity who is curious about tongue tie is welcome in the professional's guide to tongue tie in the breastfeeding infant. What you'll learn, we have four modules, assessment, treatment plan, phrenotomy, and aftercare. So much great information and it comes with a community. I didn't learn this in school, did you? Tongue tie treatment can be complex and those who expect relief of symptoms with a quick snip or even a laser release, even by an experienced provider, are usually disappointed. Join me to learn protocols that offer an organized and simplified plan to support families through decision-making, preparation, treatment plans, procedure if needed, and aftercare. Learn the teamwork model of care. Knowing why and which providers are necessary will make things easier for you and provide effective outcomes for your patients. Please sign up today. The link is in the show notes, but you can go to my website, tongue-tie-experts.net. Go to the professional tab. And one last thing, since you listen to my podcast, you'll get 15% off just by using the coupon code PODCAST15 and the word PODCAST is all in caps. Can't wait to see you in the group. Take care. I totally agree. And um, our philosophies are so similar. So if if someone, you know, it's not in my scope to take care of um, children that aren't breastfeeding anymore. But I'm often asked by parents what I recommend and that I would recommend finding someone that follows the exact philosophy that you do, Uh, you know, optimizing function, right? At that point, Mm -hmm. whatever that means for that particular child. And I think that um, there are so many people that think it's something to just go get a quick fix about, you know, and um, we want to be really careful. Mm-hmm. not to just run, you know, as a, a newborn, even sometimes yeah. the, the answer is not, Oh, just get the tongue tie released. Sometimes there's other things to work on first. Mm-hmm. Um, and the urgency isn't always there, especially with the toddler. Cause you want to do it right. You want to take your time and make sure they're ready for it. Right. So, and especially older children at least can cooperate with therapies like myofunctional therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're definitely on the same page there. Um, I had, I had a mom just as an example, I had a mom call me today and she said, yes, she's getting the baby's tongue tie done tomorrow. So she wants to come next week. And I said, well, you really should come to me first. Mm-hmm. And it was so difficult without, exp- you know, without having a visit explaining to her why 
she would need to see me first. She said, no, I'll get the tongue tie fixed and then we'll come and fix his latch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, we have to, what if it's not the tongue tie causing the problem with the latch? Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's, so it's a, it's a constant battle. And my fear is that the people that are looking for quick fixes and don't get the other therapies, you know, prior are going to give those of us that are doing the right thing like mm-hmm. a bad name, right? Mm-hmm. Because it might not work. And then you have people out there saying, oh, I did that and it didn't work. Or I had my baby's tongue tie released and breastfeeding didn't get any better. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have any of the other therapies, you know. For sure. Do you find yeah. that? Do you hear of stories like that? Like, do you have second releases come to your office? Sometimes parents think that tongue tie release is the quick fix and the answer to all their problems. And they're, they're coming in because they're worried about a child's future speech implications or orthodontic concerns. But I think it's really important for parents to recognize that when we do a tongue tie release in infancy, the primary goal is to improve feeding, to improve mobility, to, to not have excessive swallowing or intake of air and reflux-like symptoms. But it's very normal that things will not be absolutely perfect post-release. When a child has a tongue tie, they've got altered sucking and swallowing even in utero. And so the older and older a baby or child is, the more compensations that have to be undone. So it's not necessarily a quick fix and that everything's going to be working correctly. And so what I found in recent years is working more and more with one particular lactation consultant, uh, she actually does so much work before the release with body exercises, facial massage, uh, oral exercises. And I'm, I just go by what she suggests. So if she says to me, four weeks, see this baby, six weeks, we'll go with it. Because what I've noticed is that uh, the babies can suck and drain better or, or have functional improvements even before we do the release. And I do think those babies will get off to a better start. Because at the end of the day, really what we want to do is get the muscles working well. Uh, And so I think that there's not always a need for us to rush uh, when we do the body work, when we send children for the body work and they may have significant body tension. Getting those things addressed prior uh, can really help improve the feeding and positioning and just make a baby feel more relaxed and even help them cope better through the procedure and with the aftercare. So I really think it's important that parents don't always rush and a really good lactation consultant like yourself that's really trained in oral function and how the muscles are working is worth their weight in gold. It becomes a less stressful journey for parents as well, just to have that support before and after. I totally agree. And thank you for your kind words about lactation consultants. And one of the uh, points that you mentioned is making the procedure go more smoothly for both parents and baby, right? I mean, that's so important. It, the experience is important because it could be traumatic for a, a for a family to hand their baby over to any provider, even a skilled provider, to mm-hmm. have a procedure, mm-hmm. right? And and then to have to put their hands in the baby's mouth and do things to the baby if they haven't touched their baby in that mm-hmm. way prior to the release. It's not going to be easy afterwards. And then there's all the stress and the worry and the, the high, uh, you know, stress hormones going on there because of nervousness and everything. So, yeah, I think preparation is key. And the further I get into my career and the longer I'm doing this, the less I feel like a quick procedure is important. You know, I mean, there are some cases I've 
you know, had a few cases where I'd say, you know what, let's do this, but know that we might have to do it again someday. Because those mm-hmm. quick releases often aren't a complete release because the baby has got so much tension. Do you work with bottle feeding babies as well? Do you see babies that have bo- that are having trouble with their sleeping, breathing, eating, and their bottle feeding? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, bottle feeding is a compensation where you don't really need to use your tongue that much to create the vacuum, the suction, and get uh, for efficient milk transfer. You can overuse your lips and cheeks and compensate. But the problem for bottle-fed babies is when they can't lift their tongue properly to swallow correctly, uh, they can often have intake of air and that can lead to reflux-like symptoms. And quite often, babies are, parents are told that's a normal thing that children will grow out of, uh, even though it's quite a stressful thing to have a baby that's constantly crying and can't sleep well, or they may be medicated with reflux-like symptoms without proper investigation of how is the latch, whether a baby is gulping or swallowing air. And the problem with this is that these medications are really not proven. And in fact, there's research to suggest that use in infancy is associated with increased risk of bone fractures later on in childhood, where we now have quite a number of research studies that have actually demonstrated that when we have uh, upper lip or tongue tie um, release, that we can actually get improvement in those uh, reflux-like symptoms. And so when it comes to evidence-based health care, it's really important that before medicating babies with reflux-like medications, we need to rule out poor latch and intake of air, even in a bottle-fed baby. Yeah, I I think there was a study I saw today that I hadn't seen before just saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating because, you know, if you listen to some people, they say there's no evidence for a tongue-tie release, but there's growing bodies of evidence. Um, we need more research for sure, but there are growing bodies of evidence that show, especially with reflux, Mm -hmm. um, that there are relief of symptoms. And I was thinking about it today when I saw this new study and realizing that I almost never have a baby who has reflux symptoms that doesn't improve after the procedure. Mm -hmm. It may not be the first couple of days because sometimes Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of more spitting up more mucus in the beginning, uh, more saliva production or difficulty swallowing saliva. And I do see a little bit of increased spit up after the procedure sometimes, but almost always the parents will report that the reflux has either gone away completely or significantly decreased. I really should start tracking it because it's pretty amazing. That's definitely, I mean, sometimes the, there are other challenges with breastfeeding that, take longer to go away or don't always go away, but almost always the reflux is, is something that does go away. And who wants to give babies medicine that we don't have to, right? It's crazy. For sure. And this is where mm-hmm. I think uh, a, a lactation consultant comes in very handy because, you know, a lot of parents read on the internet that the tongue tie release can help with the reflux-like symptoms, but it's important to have it assessed by someone that can actually confirm, yes, there is a high likelihood that this is swallowing of air because the dentist is not really watching the feeding as well. So you will be able to select those patients pretty well um, because there are other breathing concerns and different things that can contribute to all sorts of problems. So it's it's really great to have that assessment. Yeah. And sometimes um, when a parent comes to me and, you know, with some 
concerns, it has to do with maybe positioning or how often they're feeding the baby or how much milk, you know, if they have either oversupply or undersupply or an overactive letdown, certainly no dentist is going to have time to assess that, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very in-depth and um, the assessment is is vital to make Mm -hmm. sure that the problem is actually coming from tongue tie. Even a click, I mean, I've, I've adjusted a baby's latch and the way the mom is holding the baby and the click goes away. So the click is telling us there's air going in, but we can fix it. Mm-hmm. And the tongue is moving well. It has nothing to do with the tongue. It just has to do with the way the mouth was coming onto the breast and we could fix it that way. So yes, assessment, lactation, so important. Finding a provider that understands all this is so important. Um, getting a provider that um, understands and, and is proficient in whatever tool they're using. I am, um, you know, we like laser releases here on Tongue Tie Experts, but there are many people that are very proficient with scissor releases if that's what they are trained in. Correct? I mean, I, you know, yeah, I don't know. I Do think you, at you the end of the, the day, pro- it's yeah. um, the tool is not as important as the provider. Uh, in theory, laser offers more bleeding control. So I think that's one of the biggest advantages in infants where we really have to be quite quick uh, so we can actually really go little by little without having to worry about um, bleeding. And that actually offers, you know, really great precision. And, yeah, I think that laser has a really good advantage in infants. So, Dr. Lim, let's get back to the book. And I'd love to know what inspired you to write the book. I know what brought you to this work and you explained about your, your husband snoring, which I love that story because many of us have a partner who snores. I won't, I won't mention any names, but many of us have a partner who snores and it's concerning. But the book, I mean, so many people are doing this work, but you put it all together in a book and that must have been quite a project for you. Yeah, it was it was approximately six years when I first decided that this is what I'm going to do. And I was introducing early orthodontics into the practice. You know, for so many years, we had just sent people to the orthodontist and we kind of just accepted, okay, we're not going to start treatment until age 12 and then age 12 will help them take out their teeth. And I didn't think that was good enough anymore. I didn't want to be involved with that. And because I could see the repercussions down the track when people got into adulthood. Uh, And, you know, compared to an orthodontist, we actually see the patients throughout the lifespan. So we see that patient often and we can really understand some of the things that are going on for them. And so when I wanted to try and tell parents this time, why don't we try and do some early interceptive orthodontics? It's quite a foreign concept because they've taken all the other children for orthodontic treatment. And it's really hard to convey all this information in a general dental appointment uh, to really help them understand that what we do now will affect their child's whole future health. Uh, So I think the book is meant to be that resource to help patients, but also help colleagues um, to educate their patients or direct to parents to really understand that even before the age of doing early interceptive orthodontics, there's so many red flags looking at how the muscles are working from infancy with breastfeeding or bottle feeding that we should be able to identify 
and and know that we can make amends or or different opportunities to get things functioning better uh, even before orthodontic age. Yeah. So I'd like to highlight what you said that you realized with that what you were doing wasn't working or didn't feel right to you anymore. And I commend you for being one of the people that isn't afraid to change their path of practice because I meet people who are stuck in their paradigm and stuck in what they do and do the same thing because it's the way we've always done it, you know, and I think that we have to be brave and evolve our practices with what we learn, what feels right to us, mm-hmm. what the the newest research and what we're witnessing in our own practices and in, in the practices of our colleagues. So thank you for, for that. And um, please, everybody who's listening, you need to get this book. The link is going to be in the show notes, but it's, it's just um, – I don't think anybody will be sorry – to get this book and read it, except that sometimes it, it could be, it could make you nervous when you realize, when you start recognizing all the symptoms, right? Like, do you have anybody having that, that reaction? Like, I don't want to know this because now, you know, I have, now I'm worried about myself or my older kids or, you know, it could be overwhelming, but it's important, right? Yeah, it could, it could be overwhelming, but I think it's really important to recognize that there are many opportunities or different windows that we can actually do intervention. It's not just about one thing that we've missed that boat and we don't, uh, you know, have a have a opportunity to correct it. Like for instance, for parents that can't breastfeed, uh, well, you know, as long as we can inform them that when a child doesn't breastfeed or or their tongue doesn't work well, there will be compensations, and these are the things to look out for. But there's other things that we can do along the way to help uh, get things back on track. Uh, I think that's what's really important for parents to recognise. Don't despair. If we can work in those earliest years of life, if we're aware of them very early on in life, we will have more and more opportunity to get things back on track. Absolutely. So it's Breathe, Sleep and Thrive. Please buy the book, everyone who's listening. And I'm definitely going to be ordering copies to have in my office and give out and um, hand out some friends and family. I think it should be like a, a party favor. <laughs> it's so important. And it's written in language that's easy to understand. It's not over your head. Um, you don't have to be a medical provider to understand it. And I totally appreciate the effort. Um, you know, as I was telling a colleague about it, and I said, it's worth it just for the resource list. Mm-hmm. I mean, your bibliography is comprehensive and gives you so many resources to go and read more and realize that this is evidence-based. Mm-hmm. This is completely evidence-based. And it's, it's time that, you know, the mainstream medical establishment recognize or dental establishment recognize that we are following evidence mm-hmm. when we're, we're doing this work. So thank you so much. Dr. Lim, for your time, for your efforts with the book, and for everything that you do for families. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa. I appreciate everything that you do, bringing all this information together, getting it out in a digestible format for, for parents. Uh, yeah. So thanks for, thanks for the opportunity. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Check out the show notes for useful links about the topics we discussed and for ways to follow us on social media. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.